Well, welcome back to Work Minus, where we're talking about what we need to drop from how we view work today and what we need to replace it with. Today's guest is Mike Knoop, who is the co-founder and chief product officer at Zapier. Thanks a lot, Mike, for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, uh, Neil, for having me. Happy to chat today. Yeah, so, so Mike, today's episode we're calling Work Minus HQ. Uh, so Zapier, of course, is famous for lots of things, but one thing is your remote culture that you do. We're going to dive into that a little bit more. I want to start with a question of, was this kind of remote working plan always a part of what Zapier was going to be, or did it develop over time? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so uh, like you said, I'm one of the co- three co-founders. I have two co-founders, Brian and Wade. And uh, when we got started, uh, Zapier was very much a, a nights and weekends kind of project. Um, we got started out of Startup Weekend back in 2011, got some initial momentum and kind of decided to start working on it. And we all had day jobs and I was still even a full-time student at the time. Um, so back then, we, you know, the only time we could really work on it was after five o'clock. And at that point, we were often in our own apartments or I was on campus and uh, we would just be working remotely. Um, we moved out to California to go through YC in 2012, Y Combinator. And that was the one period of the company's history where we are actually all together in one place. <laughs> wow. uh, that's one of the requirements of their program is you have to come out and move out to California. Um, and that worked pretty well. We were able to get a lot done. But after the program was over, uh, my uh, girlfriend and now wife was finishing law school back in Missouri, which is where Brian Wade and I all met. And uh, so I was splitting time. Uh, I was flying back and forth like twice a month between um, Missouri and California. And that was also the time we wanted to start hiring. And the people that we wanted to start hiring were not, we knew we wouldn't be able to get them to move out to California. They had no interest in moving to California. So, uh, you know, that, that was kind of the initial decision. Like, well, we've already been working remotely on this nights and weekends thing. We've seen it work. Uh, the people we want to hire aren't here. So like, let's just keep doing it this way. Um, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it was super intentional. It was just kind of more like a realization that, hey, this is how we're working. It works really well. And uh, it was more of a pragmatic choice to start with, honestly. Um, and since then, uh, I think we've kind of seen all the benefits of remote, but at, at the outgate, it was definitely more of a pragmatic choice. Yeah, I think a lot of companies, like you said, have have kind of experimented with remote working on a certain project, uh, much like you would have seen uh, the, the beginnings of, of Zapier as to say, okay, you know, maybe maybe this will work here, but to have it from the beginning as a part of the culture is a very interesting take. So a- as you guys have grown, uh, you're up to, you know, uh, more than 100 people now? Yeah, 130 by last count, um, maybe closer to 140 today. It always depends how you count, if when you count if people have started or after they've agreed to start. <laughs> yeah. So, so as you've grown in that and, and become more of an established company, have you ever doubted this uh, remote working plan? Has there been a time when you felt like, you know, maybe, hey, you know, it, it was good while it lasted, but we really need to bring everyone into the same place? It's a good question. I think it's worth talking about, like, why you work remote. Like, what are the big benefits of it? And what are the downsides? And, and easily the biggest downside that you have to solve with remote work is communication. Um, everything else gets pretty easy. Communication is really the big, big one. Um, I've said this before, but like in most co-located spaces, when you're working together with somebody, the default is like you go over and tap them on the shoulder, right? Your default is I've got this really, really high bandwidth, high disruption interaction mode with my, with my teammates, where in remote, it's completely the opposite. Uh, the default is actually people don't talk to each other and we have to spend a lot of time coaching our uh, teammates up to actually be comfortable talking out into 
you know, Slack channels or wherever, uh, even if they're not quite sure who is on the other end of that channel, um, just to help with the asynchronicity of, of the organization, given how many different time zones we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like the one really big thing you have to solve. And at the beginning, like this, when we hadn't quite figured those out, uh, there were certainly like hurdles we had to get over to figure this <laughs> kind of stuff out. Uh, it requires hiring a certain type of person who is comfortable working in that way. And we hadn't in the early days quite figure out what those like cultural values were. We, we quickly figure them out. Um, and, and I think it's helpful to talk about what some of those things are. Uh, our top number one value in the organization is a default action. And uh, the reason we took this as a value is be, in remote work, you don't have someone who's like sitting next to you, like watching your screen all day long. There's no one monitoring butts and seats. The only thing we as an organization look at is like what people get done and what they're working, what their output is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to encourage people not to get blocked basically. So, you know, if you're in a different time zone and you're working with a teammate who's offline for the day, we don't want people to get stuck and say, Oh, I can't do anything until tomorrow. We really want to encourage people to solve problems themselves and like default to action to get things done. And another one we have is default to transparency. Again, as a remote organization, it doesn't, it doesn't work if people aren't sharing the information they need for other people to do what they need to do to do their jobs. Um, so this, this kind of pairing of some of our really like basic cultural values has like helped solve some of those communication issues. And we, we figured those out pretty quickly uh, as we started scaling the organization. Um, of course, the number one benefit of remote is you get to hire the best people anywhere. Uh, you know, we're not we're not limited by <laughs> uh, who we can convince to move to California. Uh, we don't have to make that awkward choice of like, oh, we've got two good candidates. One can move, one can't. How do we say yes? Uh, we just get to say, yep, you're the best person. We want to make you an offer. Uh, and more often than not, uh, we end up getting the best people. So, um, yeah, that's worked out really, really well as we've scaled. Yeah. In your experience, you talked about these cultural values that people need to have. Um, have there been times when you, you hired somebody who had the right talent but just couldn't adapt to the the culture of remote working? There have certainly been people who adapt quicker than others. That's what I'll say. <laughs> um, we have, there's a lot of people who we're, we'll talk to who are a little skeptical of remote work. They might not have done it in the past. They've only worked in their entire career, co-located companies. Um, and we've had several of those teammates who have ended up joining Zapier with, with that like element of skepticism, but they're, you know, knowing the benefits of remote getting to decide their own schedule, the flexibility that comes with it, not having a commute anymore um, and going ahead and giving it a try. And almost universally three months into the job, uh, everyone raves about it. <laughs> um, so I, I, th- I think there, we definitely have had teammates who have adapted quicker than others to that process and like how quickly they kind of fit it into their life. Um, cause it does require a little bit of a life change, especially if you're a, you know, a, a strong extrovert. Um, you know, you're not, I tell all the new teammates that you, all, all candidates are applying this. Um, you really can't use your company as your like family in a remote environment. Um, certainly we try our best to like instill really good, like a good sense of culture through Slack. It's kind of like our office water cooler, but you really need a network outside of work. Uh, you know, you're going to need family or you're going to need friends or uh, a sporting activity or a religious group or, or whatever it is in your local community or something, you're going to need that network. Cause otherwise you're not going to get that piece fulfilled through work alone. And, and that is something some of our most expert teammates have had to work through is the realization that, Oh yeah. Like a big part of my life was the people that I saw every day at work and having to be very intentional about um, supplementing that with other, other networks in their, in their communities. Yeah, that's really interesting about uh, making sure that people have those those other communities that are there, those other circles of friends. 
Um, because it's true, you know, in, in most uh, of our time for spending it at the office and then we get to know those people, they become our friends. We do softball with them. Um, those are the people that we see all the time. But when you are remote and you're just focused on getting things done, you can be friendly and banter and, and, and talk and chat. But in terms of actual community, you need something else. Yeah. And, and this isn't to say we have no in-person time either. Uh, I actually do think in-person time is really, really important and valuable for the organization. Um, we just actually got back from our uh, biannual Zapier retreat where we fly the everyone in the entire company, all 130 people to some, some location. Uh, we just got back from Hilton Head, South Carolina. And these retreats are so important for building empathy in the organization. Uh, it allows you to hear other people's voices. And I think this is something that gets lost in text. When you see you know, a message sent in, in Slack or, or somewhere online, and you can't hear the person's voice who said it in your head, immediately there's like this disconnect and you kind of might default to thinking uh, worst intentions. And when you can hear their voice, it's a lot easier in your head, just even like, oh, I, I know how they would have said that word or phrase. It adds so much more empathy and allows you to take like the, assume the best intent of all interactions online. And, and that helps, that's helped really, I think, retain the culture of, of the organization as we've gotten a lot bigger. Um, you know, making sure people are consuming positive intent everywhere in the organization. And, oh, yeah, that that like, look, that curt message was not intended to be like a curt message. Right. Uh, that was just like they were short on time that day or were typing it on their phone or something like that. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit more about uh, the distinction between types of, of communication when it comes to, you know, a, a text only uh, type version mm. or a telephone call or a video conference <laughs> or in person. How do you decide when to kind of move up the, that chain? Yeah, yeah, this is we're coming back to having to uh, encourage people to over communicate in uh, text channels. Um, to me, I, I kind of like see a few major different types of communication that go up the bandwidth chain. Um, you know, we were talking before about in person is at the very top, you get a very, very high level of bandwidth, right? I can use nonverbal communication, I can use body language, facial communication, but it's very high distraction. I have your entire attention and it's rude for you to look away. Um, on the other end, uh, which is where we start on remote, there's zero communication at all, right? Just no one's talking. Um, the, the kind of the two that are in the middle uh, going up from zero is uh, you've got just kind of team chat, text chat. So this might be sending an email, sending a Slack message, um, writing a post and sharing it with someone. And uh, then the next one up from there is like, we'll, we'll often do video or audio calls. And one of the things that happens, and uh, I love to say there's, a, there's actually like a heuristic I encourage other teammates on Zapier to use, which if you've used Slack before, you, might know, you may know about this feature they have that's called um, Several People Are Typing. <laughs> in fact, I think their entire blog is called yeah, this. Yeah, that's the title of their blog. Yeah. <laughs> funny uh, UI bit. Uh, but the idea is if, if many people are typing into a Slack channel at the same time, they put up this little indicator that lets you know like, oh man, there's like, this is a hot topic. And I encourage you, if you see that, that's almost a, like the first thing you should think of when you see that message is maybe this should be a video call. Uh, <laughs> because, because often what that means is like, we're in a topic that has a lot of opinions and we're going to probably spend a good, probably 30 minutes talking about this in Slack. At the very least, it's going to distract people for about 30 minutes. And you know, how many people are going to get pulled into this conversation? Um, oftentimes you can resolve that a lot quicker, five to 10 minutes uh, by elevating that up to a, a video call. And then after you're done, have the person who started the video call summarize it back into the, into the chat uh, uh, Slack room. That way, any other teammate who comes along in an asynchronous time zone can see, oh, there was a topic here, it got discussed on video, and here was the outcome. 
and this just is like an efficiency hack, essentially, uh, knowing you know when to move up as, as opposed to pulling in 10 different teammates for an hour-long conversation in the middle of the day. Yeah, why don't you talk about the other um, hierarchy you kind of mentioned as well, which is the difference between a, a channel like Slack, where you're having lots of quick instant messages, and then the need to actually document a conversation and put that somewhere. Because if you put that on Slack, then it kind of gets missed. So how do you guys handle that? Yeah, that's a great question that opens up the topic of like what tools Zapier really uses day to day. You know, we use essentially three maybe four primary tools that drive almost all the communication in the organization uh, versus Slack. We've been talking about Slack is really our day-to-day office water cooler. It's also where most work gets done and talked about. Um, we have another tool uh, that's uh, out there called Quip uh, to do all of our documentation. And the idea of Quip is that it's long form static documentation that um, doesn't roll off like a feed, right? Slack has this kind of feed view where there's a time bound to it. Quip doesn't. There's a, there's a directory of folder organization structured to it. So almost all of our internal company processes, our, our guide to how to set up your development environment, our guide on how to do refunds and customer support, all of that is documented in, in Quip and organized there. Um, we have another tool uh, called Async. Uh, this is actually a tool we built ourselves. It's essentially an internal blog. And the way I like to describe Async is it's kind of like the slow-thinking version of, of Slack. Hmm. Um, there's the, the book thinking fast and slow where, right. where there's kind of two modes of communication Are you like, are you in fast reaction mode thinking where you're like, your uh, primate brain is responding or are you in slow thinking mode where you're like the frontal lobe of your brain is you're thinking very thoughtfully and putting a lot of intentionality into this like thing that you're saying and Slack, we actually design it to be slow to use. <laughs> um, not to say like it's bad to use, but like it doesn't have live chat in it, right? There's no automatic refreshing. Uh, we design it to try to infor- encourage people to spend the time to think thoughtfully. And, you know, even through the size of like the text boxes we have, they're, they're big on the page to encourage longer form content as opposed to, you know, shorter off the top, riffing off the top of your head kind of content. Um, so the, those are like those are the three pillars of how like all text-based communication happens in Zapier. Um, you've got two that are time-bounded. Both async and Slack are feeds that roll off, and then Quip is kind of our permanent static documentation that uh, you know a new teammate, if they're looking to figure out something, can go to. Yeah, talk a little bit more about the the time zone issue that that comes up because if you have people working remotely, you know, and you said you can get the best people, the best person might be you know on the other side yeah. of the world, literally twelve hours away uh, in time. Um, so so how do you manage that? Do you ask people to work on in similar times or overlap, or what do you do? Yeah, this is a great great question. Um, and my opinion on this has changed a little bit over the years too. Uh, so even probably a better question. So originally. I guess I should preface it by saying Zapier has no standard set of hours. There, there's no expectation that everyone works five to nine, even if you're in the same time zone. Like we give people the flexibility to choose and set their own their own schedules. Um, the piece that I will often encourage teammates to do is look around to your media teammates, and it, this depends on what part of the organization you're in, of course. But uh, to use an example, maybe you take an engineer who has an immediate teammate of maybe their product manager and uh, a designer that they're, they're working with. And I encourage them to try to find like somewhere between two to four hours of overlap per day in their schedules. And this isn't perfect. We can't always get quite this, but I found it's really, really helpful to have a couple hours where those teammates do schedule to be online at the same time so that they can unblock each other and hand off tasks 
from one to the next. Um, this actually highlights one of the, <laughs> when, it, when it works perfectly, one of the benefits of remote work, which is like the kind of the sun never sets. Uh, you can have an engineer working on or having like a product manager working on a spec, hand it off to the designer for when they wake up, wake up the next day, they can just run with it and then hand that off to the engineer who wakes up in their time zone and they build it. <laughs> and you can kind of compress time zones. doesn't always work out that way, but there is some kind of efficiency to be gained if you can really get the moving pieces down with time zones. Anyway, so uh, initially encouraging just people to overlap these time zones. And we kind of then beyond that, didn't put very many constraints or controls in the organization around how time zones worked or who was staffed onto what teams. And this worked pretty well. It, it got us from uh, you know zero product teams up to where we're at today, which was seven or eight uh, across three different areas of the organization. As we've gotten bigger, a option has opened itself up to us. And this was something we just couldn't do in the early days. But now because we have enough teammates in enough time zones, we can start to be a little bit more intentional about organizing and staffing teams around location in the world. Hmm. Um, like I said, this is just something we couldn't do before. It, you know, Great if we probably could have. And, and we are starting to see there are some benefits around just having people that are in certain parts of the world staffed together on the same team. Um, this setting time zones and overlap is like a lot easier when you know, it's like, oh, let's, you know, try to make sure everyone's staffed here is kind of working central European hours or, you know, East Coast U.S. hours. Um, it's not perfect, but uh, as we've gotten bigger, that has been one thing that has opened its uh, opened its doors and we've taken advantage of a few times. Well, Mike, we're talking about work minus HQ. So the headquarters is always like, OK, that's the, the big office downtown uh, up in the penthouse type thing. Zapier doesn't have a, a central office. So how does that impact your work culture, how you guys do things when people think, okay, the the people sitting around the boardroom making the decisions, you know, they're they're also doing video chat. They're also kind of gathering in these these types of channels. How does that element of not having that central decision making power uh with that also being dispersed? How does that impact your culture? Yeah, uh good question. So even though we're not remote, Zapier still is a very traditionally managed organization. Um, you know, it's not quite like valves. No one has titles complete. Everyone is like equally leveled. <laughs> um, we still have like, uh, you know, C-level executives. We have a, a leadership management team. We have managers. We run the very traditional classic well-known playbook that's uh, published by like the manager tools podcast, which is another great one. Um, so from that perspective, like, Things aren't too different. It wouldn't. It doesn't feel too different to go from any typical organization to operating inside Zapier. It's going to feel pretty similar. Um, the thing we have to do as a leadership team, and the, the burden on us more so than it would be in another another kind of environment, is because there's less visibility there. We have to be more intentional about transparency uh, on planning. So uh, we just got through our 2018 planning uh, wrapped up here uh, early January. And that was a process that I led from starting in middle of December all the way through the beginning of January. And we just set up a public Slack channel for it. Everyone was invited to join that Slack channel if they wanted to pay attention to it. All of our product managers used this single place to communicate about what plans they were thinking about, what problems they had. And the main reason we had to do this is because a lot of those plans overlap with each other. As we've gotten bigger, it's become more important to make sure people who are making decisions have visibility into the other people who are making those same decisions, especially where those decisions overlap. Um, so, yeah, this element of transparency, I think, is kind of the way we address um, the visibility. 
So, so Mike, let's uh, let's close out with this question. Um, both on two sides. One, some advice from a, a company that's been doing this for several years on remote working. Give advice to somebody who's starting up a, a brand new startup culture that wants to do remote working, and then also flip that on its head and and tell some advice to somebody who's working in a very established, you know, co-located space that wants to experiment with this. What are some things you would tell both those people? Yeah, great question. So uh, first piece of advice to the person who wants to start a new remote company, uh, learn from someone who's done it before. Uh, when we got started, there were a few better organizations than us that were doing remote. Uh, Basecamp was doing remote. Automatic is a huge company that's doing remote. Mozilla has a lot of remote components. And we learned a lot from them. So uh, we've tried to pay this forward a little bit. We wrote an entire remote uh, guide to remote work. Um, if you Google Zapier guide to remote work, you'll find a, an ebook that we wrote. It's free. Um, Advice for someone who is in a, a co-located company uh, considering adding a remote piece is it's very, very difficult to split the difference. It's very difficult to add like one or two people remote because the culture of the office is not often set up to support it. The best thing to do here is really take a bigger stake than just one person. Like if you're in a hiring process and you're like, oh, we really want to hire this one person, but they all they can do is remote. You're going to have a really tough time and that person's likely not going to be set up for success. Um, my best piece of advice there is be intentional about it. If Try to identify a, a team, an entire team that you could say to operate remotely and let them operate autonomously as a remote unit. Uh, give them the decision making because oftentimes that's the first piece that gets re-centralized back. And uh, I think you'll find success going that route. Well, fantastic. Mike, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, We've been talking about Work Minus HQ, and it's been fascinating to talk to you. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. 